Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. Join us for today's episode of the Utopian Realities Slope Save Life on Planet Earth Blog Talk Radio Show, bringing you solution bearers with practical, proven, scientific ways to help you eliminate global level irradiation and extinction level threats from your body and bringing forward the means to restore and sustain global waters, air, soil, and sentient life. Welcome. Greetings, this is Siava, also known as Lisa Wolf, your host. Welcome to the Utopian Realities from Concept to Planetary Restoration Slope. Save and Sustain Life on Planet Earth, Earth Aid Now, Sunday Solution Bearers Forum, where we bring you solution bearers who can help us to mend the sacred hoop of life. As always, listeners, follow the link to listen to the program and to join the live chat page during the program and phone 845-277-9359 with questions or comments. Thanks for joining Earth Aid Now Radio this Sunday, July 2nd, as we continue with our ongoing live on-air solutions forum, focusing on Ocheti Sakuin sovereignty and sustainability. Our guests today are Nine, Oyate Ota, and Nuni. Welcome. How? How? Yate. Yate. Glad to be here with you this evening. Thank <laughs> you for having us here. I am Nine. I'm uh, Dene. I'm uh, from Dene Bikeya, also with the Trante Tinsa and the Lakota Delegation for Freedom, Campaign for Freedom. And um, here this evening, I want to say a little prayer and uh, um, thank you in, in, in my language. Cross Turtle Island. I send these words and in in prayer and with good thoughts and good intentions. Please excuse me, my elders and my clan mothers, my headmen, anybody that I offend. I do not mean to offend you in or any any way do we try to uh, 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 cause uh, uh, an offense, uh, a defensive uh, intention. We thank you for letting us uh, talk with you here and share some words and some of our little bit of knowledge and, and uh, words and, and what we're working on here today is about sovereignty. I have my uncle here who has been in the sovereignty movement and uh, he's been in, in, involved with this throughout his life. His name is Oyate Ota. He comes from uh, Rosebud and as he, he is a, a member of the Sikanju um, tribal nation and uh, he is here in Albuquerque, New Mexico where we're coming to you from now, Albuquerque, New Mexico this evening. And I'll turn it over to my uncle to introduce himself this evening. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for listening. Thank you. I'm Oyate Ota. 
Shangu, Lakota, and uh, I'm honored to be on your program this morning or this afternoon. Thank you. And I thank Creator for blessing us with technology that works. We're actually all um, sitting here in the grandfather's um, dining room with laptop. And um, I, I understand we're also going to, uh, as well as um, hear the latest on the um, sound path to liberty for all our relations, our mother. Um, we're also going to hear some incredible music. You bet. Yeah. <laughs> I'll play some for you after, after a bit here. Okay. Well, um, uh, I just have a very short kind of message. And uh, I'll try to make it short. We have two hours, and I and we will find out afterwards, listeners. Uh, hopefully, the sound quality is good. We're all, as I said, we're all sitting here around a um, a computer, talking to the computer, <laughs> so we don't really know what our sound quality is. So I hope you can hear us well. Thank you. Well, I'm a member of the American Indian Movement since 1972, 71, really at the first national convention and it wounded me and uh, it wounded me uh, and did declare independence but it never really took hold um, the united states really never recognized that they didn't pursue it in the 19 or 21 point position paper they put out but in uh, 1991, I organized a meeting of the Treaty Council and some elders and the Treaty Chief, Richard Grass. Oh, I remember Richard Grass. Yeah. I worked with Richard for like four years, steady every day. I know Bunny Singsworth. I went to see her. Mm -hmm. yeah. And he was working on, you know, he was representing Chief Red Cloud, Richard Grass. He was the main. I treated you. And um, at this meeting that I organized, all the treaty council was there, the representatives of the Black Hills Tea Conservation Treaty Council. Richard Grass was there, Robert Gray Eagle, uh, Archie Fire, uh, I could name off a bunch of others, but there were some I didn't know who they were. But meeting was to declare independence and so this is the reason why they were all there they wanted to participate so we held this meeting and at the end of the meeting um, Buzzy Blackfeather the spokesman for the treaty council made the announcement that we was going to take a vote and we was going to sign a document so we took a vote, we had a big TV set up and went all around and everybody voted and it was unanimous that we was gonna do this. 
their independence. And this yeah. was what year? Huh? What year was this? 1991. That the Lakota would be in a unanimous decision to declare independence from the yeah. United States government and the corporation in the District of Columbia. July 14, 1991 at Bear Butte. July 14, yeah. 1991. Yeah. Um, so we all signed the document. And then we selected a delegation to go to the UNPO in The Hague, Netherlands, to represent us there. I had that all arranged for them to fly over there. The plane tickets and everything already. And so we selected this delegation and they went over there. Then a few days afterwards. And continued on from there. And this delegation was with the intent to do what? Get recognition for independence. Okay, so they had the paperwork, they had every, all the signatures intact to... You to had the clan to, mothers? To, yeah. That would go to the International Parliament? Or where well, this, no, it was the United Unrepresented Nations and People's Organization. Mm. And they, uh, they don't get recognition, but they give assistance. Wow. To go to the United Nations and get recognized. Um, they went there two or three, I think three times. And then uh, kind of died after that. I don't know why. Um, I left it in their hands. And um, you know, what they did or didn't do with it after that, I don't know. But it died out. Well, we kind of um, revitalized it after a while with Chief Richard Grass. And uh, he went around and did some speeches and went around to the different reservations. And even I went to all of them and spoke to everybody. In, in South and North Dakota. Well, and Bunny still has the Canada. She still has the Lakota Dakota Nation, Lakota Dakota Lakota Nation dot org website still up with all the archives. And um, since my understanding was that, you know, ultimately for it to have full recognition under international law, that the clan mothers or society matrons, whatever the word is, need to be in place because there are the was the understanding there, or is that understanding evolved? Um, I mean, in '91 when you <coughs> were presenting yourselves, did because to me one of the keys that it, if it's correct that they've known is as long as you don't, as long as you allowed your women to be debased, they could hold you. You'd always be prisoner of war Indians because you would have performed treaty yeah. against your own government. Yeah. Well there, there was there was women involved in it. Right. Yeah, yeah, society yeah. <coughs> um, anyway aside from that uh, I wanted to um, go back to something in 
I acquired a document that was called Dialogue and Description of Events Surrounding the Signing of the 1868 Fort Laramie Treaty. And an official government document in an official blue binder or cover, United States government printing office. Uh, I don't know who the author of that was, but whoever it was, was commissioned by the United States in 1868 to record this treaty meeting. Wow. And it was like a, a half inch or so thick book of, of dialogue and description of events that took place. He described uh, everything, the setting, the people that were there, what was going on, everything took place. And at one point in this document, he uh, described where just prior to the treaty meeting itself, the signing, um, I, I should like qualify this by saying that uh, uh, none of the Lakota, not any of them, zero. I have to sign this 1868 treaty. Lakota, Lakota, Dakota, no. Nobody. Nobody wanted to sign it. It's undocumented. Nobody knows this. And at some point, Red Cloud and Spotted Tail and whoever, two or three of them, decided that people were starving and they were being harassed by the military, chased down and killed. And uh, they needed food and you know, rest and shelter and everything. And, and so they decided that they needed to sign this treaty. But none of the other warriors wanted to sign this treaty. So the treaty was supposed to have three quarters of the male signatures on it. When this treaty was taking place, just prior to it, this reporter describes how a wagon of whiskey barrels and cases of whiskey was brought into the treaty camp. They unloaded the wagons and distributed this whiskey to everybody, anybody who would take it. Every adult Indian male, huh? Yeah, every adult Indian male, pretty treaty signers. And um, obviously, this was a conspiracy that they had got together and planned. Premeditated, yeah. Bought the whiskey, sent somebody to buy it, brought the wagon in, got somebody to drive it, unload it, distribute it. So that everybody would get drunk and yeah. sign the treaty. Yeah. So they, they, he describes how they got drunk. They were passed out and staggering all over the place. And so it come time to sign this treaty. <coughs> and <clears throat> those that were passed out, the, the United States agents physically drug them up to the treaty signing table. The paper was at the end. And uh, 
and the ones that couldn't walk, they assisted them over there. They physically put pins in their hand, in their fingers, and they physically signed for them. Put their marks down. Uh, and then put their, their name. Their name. That's what it was. Their mark or their name. Fraud. On the street. Treasonous acts. Um, you know, because of the fact that they didn't have all these treaty signers there, they should have had like thousands of mail signatures. Well, if you look at thousands, that, if you look at that treaty, there's only like two or three pages of signers. And there should be thousands. Yeah. Upon thousands. And so that being number one, forgery by the United States and conspiracy to be fraud. Uh, and not getting the required amount of signatures on that treaty. First of all, it was invalidated when it was forged and invalidated when it didn't get the required number of signatures. And so... And you can't force an agreement made under duress. No. No. It's the same with the Treaty of Ruby Valley. Yeah. The granddaughter of the Chief Tamok told me the story and a whole bunch. I had all these Pony Express people in one room and uh, Joyce McDade stood up and told the story of how her grandfather, Chief Tamok, was, you know, they held a gun to his head and they said, and we're trying to make him eat a bowl of brave soup. When he signed the Treaty of Ruby Valley, they gave away the Shoshone lands. That's not a valid treaty. No. Well, you might be uh, um, eligible for the same thing I'm about to tell you. Um, The uh, fact that this tree was forged. And this, this what document, do you mean by forged? This, this, the, the agent signed those treaty, not to get, not the signers, just because they were and they were totally passed out. It describes it in. It's like dead people signing something. Yeah, they 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 did they had no knowledge <laughs> of it and. and you know, they weren't aware. They were they, they were unconscious. So using the te they're using the technicality that the pen was physically yeah. in their hand yeah. to say that they signed it. Yeah. Um, That's pretty hardcore. Yeah. This document it, it was it was in the School of Mines and Technology in Rapid City, South mm. Dakota, in 1972. It was in a glass lock case, and me and. Uh, when Red Cloud's nephew was going in there. So somebody told us about it. We went in there. They, they said, go read this document. So we went in there and uh, the case happened to be open. So I started reading. I started reading this thing. And when I got to the part where they got him drunk, brought the whiskey and got him drunk and signed for them. So everybody thought, oh, we'll be passed out. They can't. Nothing will happen. They didn't know these Wasichus were so hardcore they would drag them over and make them sign. Yeah. Well, when I read that, I said, 
man, why would they even print this? And, uh, you know, and put it on display. Incriminate themselves. Yeah. And the other thing I said was, we got to have this. So I told uh, the dude, I said, go over, uh, get that librarian and go distract him over there. I'm going to get this book. So we did, and I got the book. I stuck it down. And I took the book and I took it to Chief Wolfsko, who was the treaty chief at the time. Uh, <coughs> and I gave it to him so that he would have it for his treaty meetings here. And uh, so this is this is an official document that exists. And there's more than just that copy of it yeah. then. There, there's a copy of it somewhere. And in 1972, since that was the only copy on display, I don't know how long it was on display there, but it might not have been very long. Not many Indian people went to the School of Mines and Technology or to the library. And when that book disappeared in 1972, nobody else had a chance to read it. Only one other person I know of read it. So nobody really knows about this forgery, conspiracy, except me. Because I think I'm the only one alive now that's seen this document, that actually read it, that had it. And so this is what I've been trying to get out to the people that this document <coughs> exists in the Library of Congress somewhere, or in uh, United States Printing Office archives somewhere, or one of those agencies when they had the War Department and so on. Yeah, we could over to wherever Department of the Interior, Interior or something. Mm -hmm. Have this document, a copy of it. Yeah, this was a typewritten copy, but there's a manuscript somewhere this reporter and wrote in 1868 and so you know this is a valid claim in my eyes anyway because I've, I've seen this document I know what it said in here and so what does that mean going forward for the nation? Well, what that means going forward for the nation is this. Those acts, forgery of the treaty, the conspiracy to defraud, the um, uh, omission of uh, not having required a number of signatures for the treaty. Uh, they invalidate that treaty and this can stand up under the Geneva Convention Law of Treaties 53-61, which states that um, it, it's called the uh, self-invalidating treaty. 
you make an agreement and the other side doesn't follow through with their part of it, that treat that that agreement is null and void. If I sell you a car and you don't make your payment, I take the car back. Right. Same thing. It reverts back to the people. It reverts back to 1851 status, which was independent nation status. And under the, uh, uh, I have a dossier that's 40 pages of chronological order of all the cases of uh, this 1860, this uh, Lakota land grab and claim and everything with the Black Hills, mm-hmm. beginning from, they, they start with uh, international attorneys uh, put this together. They start way back with the um, doctrine of discovery right. and on and on. And it was their conclusion that the Lakota have independent nation status, have always had it. And so we are an independent nation. So how do we make that actually stick so that we can say to the Black Snake, get off our land? Yeah. Um, To be a nation, you know, you're required to have uh, population, distinct language, distinct culture, territorial boundary. We have all of those, but we are an independent nation. Under international law, to become an independent nation, independent nations are just Recognition is declaratory. You have to declare it. You declare you're an independent nation. You have all these requirements met. So you're talking about the economic sovereignty. That's what we've been, there's been a lot of discussion of that. Then then it's a matter of dispute, you know, then as to who has jurisdiction. I would think that everything belongs to nation and we've been talking about how you know you don't have to put a special tax on Wasichus all the tax money would be going to the nation anyway all the different levels I mean mm-hmm. it can be as little disruption I mean and to me I'd much rather have um, people who have a caretaker sensibility making decisions about what can happen and what cannot happen on the land. I mean, I don't know, that's just something I've seen. There's uh, people involved that want to um, declare independent independent nation status and do it under some kind of genocide claim or something. I don't know what else they, they would use, but um, they want to occupy federal land and declare independent nation status and set up a uh, national headquarters. Ivory talks of embassies. 
and declare jurisdiction that we have jurisdiction. But it's all that's going to do is get you arrested because you're still under United States law. But if you if you stand on the Geneva Convention law of treaties and Article 51, 53-61, where this treaty is self-invalidated retroactively, You know, then you're outside of uh, United States law and you're into international law. So the United States, then if you occupy federal land, wherever that may be, federal courthouse or federal, forest somewhere, wherever, no matter what size of it it is, you know, if it's just enough to put your teeth on, and you declare independent nation status and declare that you have jurisdiction within your territorial boundary in, and that you do have jurisdiction within the whole territorial boundary. Right. That would have to be, it's a really complex issue trying to well my understanding is they're dealing with that already to some degree in ottawa in canada with the recognition that that's unceded territorial land so they're starting to feel it up there yeah. you know i had hopes when i went up i went up i don't know if nina told you i was just up in winnipeg i went up to see uh well, this gentleman, Eagle Eye Man, he's originally British. Apparently, he was adopted by the Nahayawak. Now, I, there's, it's him and Lester House who have been the two main people transmitting the understandings that um, Meredith Quinn Musa tried to get through. Um, so I went up there and... I mean, I won't go into it in any great detail, but um, other than to say that I know that she went into lodge with the Nehawuk. There was a lodge that was set up by a woman making some claims that weren't supported, and that lodge had to be taken down, and that woman left. And then lodge ceremony for this clan mother that they're agreed upon, you know, to lead um, their proclamations, I guess is underway and Eagle's still helping with that. Um, but then, you know, then I saw that Nene was winning, you know, cause we'd been saying in my, in my circle, you know, that, if um, if Lakota sovereignty was strong up in Standing Rock, then suddenly there's the federal courts have no jurisdiction over any Lakotas who were arrested, and that they would have no 
jurisdiction if Uncabo was done and, you know, those who, you know, were brave enough to stand up and get arrested, but it hasn't happened. Well, they, you know, they were standing on the 1851 treaty, <coughs> uh, claiming that they still had uh, the, the land rights under the, that treaty. That's all been superseded by the 1868 treaty. And uh, so, you know, they didn't really have ground to stand on. But you're saying that treaty is a fraud. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, isn't there some solid ground to get them on to salvage the situation? Good one. Well, all of the people who just went through that, that exercise well, up there. Um, you know, they can do the research for themselves about what I just told you. Because that changes everything. Yeah. Somebody who has some kind of legal standing can um, subpoena that document or, or get it through the Information Act or somewhere from the archive and look at it for themselves. It needs to be. Yeah. And not only that document and the fact that this treaty never had to require a number of signatures, but it's also in 1873, you know, they did this Appropriations Act. They called it the Appropriations Act. Somehow, people opportunity to squat and mine and everything else. In 1873, there was a provision in the 1868 treaty that stated specifically, no non-Indians shall enter this territory. The whole 1851 treaty boundary without the consent and approval of the chiefs. In 1873, President Grant sent General Cherry, who was the commander of the cavalry at the time, a letter, handwritten letter, stating that he should disregard that provision and he, he should allow miners and settlers in to the territory. That in itself is a violation of that treaty and invalidates it too. I had a copy of that letter, handwritten letter, President Grant to General Terry. Chinooka's got it, I gave it to him. He's got it in the briefcase. It's somewhere in the book. You can probably see it somewhere if you look for it. We take all these things in, plus the other many other violations that occurred. And the fact that genocide occurred is still going on. Well, you take all these things into consideration, and the only conclusion you can arrive at is that this treaty has been self-invalidated many times a long time ago, and that people should now 
take that as their grounds for regaining independence of themselves. So basically, that's my whole message that I wanted to bring out. Well, then, what is the process? You have to. You have to. Um, you have to confront them. You have to stand on federal land somewhere. Get your media over there and whoever, federal officials. Declare that you have independence and you have jurisdiction. And that you have di diplomatic immunity and that you're able to come and go as you please. And walk out of there. Well, doesn't this lead us to... Um a conversation perhaps with Nene, who's been bringing forward the understanding that it's all fine and well to um, stand on sovereignty, but so long as um, people are all operating with social security numbers that uh, they're really not able to be sovereign. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I think that's something that I mean, you can do that. Contest that and everything right now. I mean, we stand up against it and whatever. You know, Chinupa, right there, he's cutting up his driver's license at the State Department, him and Russell Means. Whether you do or whether you don't, you, know, you still got to take this bigger stand. Put yourself above the United States authority by standing on that Geneva Convention 53-61 self-invalidating treaty. What about the Wasichinas? What about them? For those who want to be free of the U.S. corporation. Well, that's something that would have to be discussed later. First and foremost, we want to get our recognition. I, I, All these other things are coming to It's a big process of transferring government and authority. And, I mean, there's a lot, of, a lot involved in that. Can you perhaps give people some vision of how you would see that looking? In a, in a peaceful, positive transition? Um, first of all, you have to get, you have to get them to uh, recognize that we do have jurisdiction. This treaty was self-invalidated. And that we have our independent nation status. You know, all of that in line, 
And then we sit down and we talk about transferring jurisdiction with this large area and government, commerce and trade. We're going to regulate that. What do you owe us? How are you going to take care of that? And all this stuff has to be step by step addressed. So I know, even you know, in, in speaking with uh, Gary Rowland Sr., there's definitely a feeling, an awareness that surrounding, say, Pine Ridge and Oglala and Wounded Knee that there's encampments, so to speak, of um, the KKK. You know, there's some seriously violent mm -hmm. white people occupying the land surrounding. And so, you know, I've heard concern, you know, and, and so the, the question of what, because obviously the, military industrial complex that's so well integrated that the same people who are contaminating Turtle Island with nuclear waste are behind the decimation of Japan, you know. Um, what is it in, in this in international law that is so strong that it will make them have to accede? I don't know if there's anything that'll make them have to see it if they don't want to. Um, when you invoke inter international law, you have to get nations to support support you and not support the other side. And don't they also have to be truly sovereign nations? Yeah. Which most nations aren't their democracies set up by fascist Roman influenced? Yeah. Well, as long as they're recognized by the United Nations. Okay. Then, then we can still work with them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if they'll support us, we need their support. That's what we need for international law to be effective. International law in itself, you know, we want to recognize it. Back and you and if they don't want to recognize it, then you know what you're going to do. So you got to have support to do this, but that's what you do. You get support. And so it seems also that first you make the movement of restoring sovereignty and and the declarations being done by indigenous nations of the four root races globally would create additional sovereign nations to recognize sovereignty. Really, we've it's so amazing that we're talking about, we're all part of the 99%, and they're all like the 1%. So it's like I was saying, you know, there's 99 people in a room, and there's this one bully who's, you know, who's, I'm going to kill all the rest of you and steal everything. You know, and there's 
way more of us than there are of them, I would think, although I guess a lot of people are just happy watching television. Probably most of them. Well, anyway, you know, that's kind of where we're at. You know, you have to take your first step. You have to make your declaration. Stand your ground. And And who is leading the people to be able to make those declarations? Well, that's, that's what we have to determine. Somebody has to stand up there. I told Chinooka, I'll stand up there. I'll make this declaration. Hand it over to you. You can take over jurisdiction, whatever. Whoever wants to come along can come along, but someone's got to do it. So, um, listeners, we're having a, a conversation with Oyate Ota and Nine and Sister, tell me your traditional name. Nune. And Nune. And um, we're going to take a moment and listen to a word from our sponsor, uh, Roland and Linda Thomas of BioAge, um, which is a remarkable uh, blue-green algae superfood that was developed by Dr. Michael Kuriak and helped a lot of people after Chernobyl and it's something that we're uh, happy to be able to recommend. And then we'll be right back and continue this conversation. And thanks for joining us. If you're taking one, two, five or more nutritional supplements, please stop. Simplify your supplementation with Bio Superfood, the most advanced nutritional whole food supplement you can buy. Men, women, children, even Olympic athletes the world over have discovered Bio Superfood from BioAge.com. And now take just one nutritional supplement instead of many. The Bio Superfood formulas are whole food products composed with four of the most nutrient-dense algae found on Earth. Bio Superfood for the brain helps with focus, memory, clarity, and mood. If you can increase brain health, the rest of the body is a no-brainer. Bio Superfood has zero toxicity and is safe for you and your family. Make sure to read for free online the book that tells it all at awakeningthegeniuswithin.com and visit bioage.com backslash utopia or phone 877-288-9116 for more information and to order and Make sure to mention Utopia for a 15% discount. Again, listeners, thanks for joining us. This is Siava um, with Oyate Ota and Nuni and Nine. And we're going to uh, listen to some music, um, some very... um, some very significant music. Oyate? Yes, please. Mm-hmm. 
So tell us about the music, Oyate. Uh, I have some other music that's say similar to this, but uh, in the same vein, I guess. Um, uh, I just try to get a positive message through. Get some information for, through, and um, just let it be at that. What um, What more do you do you want to tell the nation at this point in time? Everybody's got to get together, just like the song said. Got to get together. You got to unite under one platform. And the only way to do that, you know, is to really get information out there about these things, like I told you, how the treaty was forged, how it was violated. Genocide is, is ongoing. The people have been denied their right to live a free Aboriginal existence. They choose to. They've been denied that. And, uh, and they deserve to have it back. We want to declare area in the Black Hills to begin with. And whenever we do this, Declaration of Independence, get recognition, we wanted to declare a uh, sacred area where people could live free, just with nature. You know, that would be a start. So foregoing the electric? Yeah. All technology be banned from this area. That we discussed anyway. And, uh, so that's just one of the differences about having independent nation status and not having it dependent on the United States government who forced to live in an isolated area. Uh, this could never happen. Primarily in the Black Hills, much of this uh, sacred uh, area needs to be in the Black Hills. Well, my understanding is that even the constellations with the uh, 
Lakota names correspond to real places in the Black Hills, which is why ceremonies move throughout the course of the season in conjunction with the constellations. Yeah. Well, um, that all needs to be revitalized. The only way to have that is to have an independent status where you have control over your territory. Well, and there's so much repair. I know that <coughs> I was just out. I've been living in Hot Springs and Buffalo Gap since the end of February when Gary asked me to come out for treaty council and I realized that I needed, once I got here, I needed to stay. <laughs> you know? um, but, you know, they just had the uh, hearings about Edgemont again. They're wanting to, you know, kick up their um, their effort to get permitted to do uh, in situ um, uranium mining out in Edgemont, which I understand from Lindsay McLean, the counts are already so high just in the air that when I passed on uh, this other woman's request, Susan Robinson, I think her name is, that um, the Lakotas set up, you know, a TP encampment over in Edgemont to make a statement. And Lindsay McLean said, no, I wouldn't suggest that the counts are too high to be in that area. So, I mean, and those are the kinds of things. I mean, the, the incredible desecration of the area around Wind Caves, you know, where it's like, it's like cheesecake of, you know, Manhattan Project nuclear waste and all that stuff. There's, but the nice thing is that somebody like, you know, we do have even, you know, this Ojibwe scientist, Thunder White Cloud has these holograms and, if I can get my hands on one of his holograms that remediates radiation and a Geiger counter, I will be a happy woman. Because <laughs> I've seen the, I've seen the numbers go down on his radiation, you know, not radiation on his uh, fuel tank emissions hologram. That's, uh, but I'd like, you know, I mean, that's something that, uh, you know, I agree with the white plumes and the work that so many are doing, you know, because, you know, the radiation levels are elevated. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I have some other music too that we never got to. Well, let's listen to some more music. Uh, that I could send you. Well, we if still you, have... If you have an email address that I can send it to, I can just send you a file. Okay. Because um, I'd have to find it uh, on here. All right. Well, we still have an hour of the program left, but I'm, I'm happy to give you my email and listeners to Lisa J. Wolf, L-I-S-A-J-W-O-L-F, at gmail.com is my email. And... Uh, do, um, do any of our other guests in the studio have questions or um, things that you'd like to share? Uh, yes, I, 
L-I-S-A-J-W-O-L-F, all lowercase, at gmail.com. So will you play another piece for us? Thank you all for being with us. This beautiful.
Yate, are we going to hear some more music? Well, we just, I, um, listeners, it's funny. Some of you may be watching. I'm trying to also do Facebook Live so everybody can get a little bit of um, the visual and to be a little bit more connected with us. And it, it keeps flashing on and off. I see that uh, hi Juan <laughs> and Alex were watching, but we're still live on the air. Um, Nuni, so this is your uncle. It's kind of amazing to, um, to have this man for your uncle. Tell us, tell listeners something about yourself and it's okay. Okay, let's give Nuni a minute. What is this? How does life being Lakota? It's it's been a challenge. Um, growing up, my mother stripped my brother, my sister, and myself of our heritage and told us pretty much you're nothing but white. And so we grew up not knowing who we were. And I was lucky enough to go with my dad back home to Pine Ridge for a while before he, before he passed. And having a connection now, being separated from my family and having this connection, it's, it's special to hear and special to know these things. Like being able to hear it firsthand, just figure out where we need to take our next steps and what we need to do to, to get us back to where we need to be. It's, it's refreshing. It gives us hope. And that's uh, a good place to return to listen to some more music. Thank you. 
Stand up. It looks like you've been standing up a long time, Oyate. Yeah, still standing. Tell tell us something about more about about your life, your journey, and um... well, I was born on the Rosebud Reservation. In Creek. And, uh, I grew up mostly around South Dakota, Plain Ridge, uh, Rosebud, Rapid City, the towns of Wyoming and stuff. My dad worked on construction. He traveled around. And um, uh, lived in Pine Ridge quite a long time. On. Did you experience residential school yourself? I mean, how how did you experience um, colonialization and genocide? Um, 
I went to school uh, in little areas. I never went to not boarding school, but um, my cousins all did. But uh, I went to little schools here and there. And it was kind of rough because uh, you got singled out, you got teased, you know. So I didn't really have a good experience with school. Well, and there was a certain, when was it that you even were allowed once again to perform ceremony? Because I know in in reading, you know, descriptions that, you know, Musa talked about in The Great Matriarch, you know, he talks about being a young, a young boy and, you know, and initiation ceremonies happening and being just attacked and having all the sacred beaten and yeah and a lot of that happened you know in boarding school where they, where they um abused you know children a lot and, and uh as far as the uh, general when i was growing up it was like especially in rapid city rapid city kind of all of South Dakota, really. Rapid City, <coughs> there's this kind of overall feeling that you looked at as inferior. Which is so bizarre because yeah. the Lakotas are so superior yeah. and so humble. Yeah, and, and, <laughs> and so you start feeling that way, you know. You walk around and you go, they're superior. <laughs> Well, I know growing up um, as, as a Hebrew, I heard stories that in the South, when my mother and father were growing up, there, were, there would be signs that would say, you know, no, no dogs, no Jews, no blacks. And, you know, I mean, that feeling of, uh, of being, yeah. <laughs> so, but, um, but Nina seems to think there's some, um hope for the the constitution and still some kind of alliance between perhaps what was the core of a not greedy intention to be on Turtle Island. You know what I'm saying? I don't know, Nina, can you help us with that point as to how there's still hope for the US Constitution? As part of this remedy, <laughs> when I when I was young, you know, really small child, five, six or whatever, um, in Rapid City, South Dakota, there, all the Indians that came from the reservation that came to Rapid City. Uh, all lived at the Indian camp. The Indian camp was situated at the creek, Rapid Creek, right next to the uh, packing plant in the sawmill. They could get uh, throwaway food there from the packing plant and they sure. discarded, and, and they could get wood from the sawmill, which was left over. And so, water from the creek. 
so there was this Indian camp that got set up. They called it the Ashkar camp. It was set up right there. That's where all the Indians live. Kind of overflowed, and so all the Indians started living along the creek and little shanties constructed there and kind of up the hill from the back in the sawmill. There's a little hill there. That's where my grandma lived. She had a little house up there. It's just a wooden shack. Twenty by sixteen or something like that. Cook stove in one of the old ones with a little fire box in it about eight by eight and twelve inches long or something like that. And uh just boards on the side. Our paper roof. The boards you could see cracks through, you could see through. We used to live with her a lot. She was an old Lakota, she spoke nothing but Lakota. She could speak English, but you know, but you're Lakota anyway. The boards, you could see through them in the wintertime, snow would come through there and ice would build up on these cracks. That's all she had for fire was that little box in the stove. No running water, we had to haul water from somewhere. And get wood from sawmill way down the hill and drag it up, drag whatever food we could get up. We didn't have any money, so we didn't have food a lot of times. And I uh, had to walk everywhere. So we walked everywhere. There's a, a bunch of other, other Indian families that lived kind of on this hillside up there above the Indian camp. Well, that was kind of Back in the 50s. Eventually, they moved to Indian camp out of there, outside of town. <laughs> what we call the Sioux addition, addition to the city. That's real shacks were out there. Now they've got the four homes out there. New housing. That could be owned by town. Still basically the same here. Inferior. How can you look at this inferior here? It, it, it boggles me when I'm driving through, well, particularly south and North Dakota, and I see all these fences and, and all these cows and all these nice houses. And I'm just thinking, you know, this is all stolen. Yeah. You have no right to be here. Mm -hmm. So, so again, back to, you know, and then, but there has to be a way to calm the immigrants, you know, because the whole thing is a travesty. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if there's a way to calm it, but that would be some kind of a way for them to accept it, you know, if they don't like it. That this land has to be returned. 
you stole them. All right. Mm -hmm. If it's returned, then you're going to have to something. <laughs> move out, I don't know, pay some rent or. Well, the thing we all realized was that they're already paying taxes, city, state, federal. I mean, besides the fact that my understanding is that, say, all the wealth of the Vatican actually belongs to the nations. Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, there's, it would be just a changing of administration of resources, right, yeah. which I heard was something that destroyed a an attempt at sovereignty that was underway um, up in upstate New York or something that Meredith Quinn had helped some tribal people regain their sovereignty and then they got a hold of a bunch of money. <laughs> something happened. I don't know the whole story. Are you, do you know what I'm talking about? No, I don't. You know, because it is a thing, you know, it's like, the, you know, administering these, these systems. Um, Yeah, well, corruption has to be defeated somehow, you know. Yeah. Well, and it's all, you know, I, I mean, I, I've i been watching and living in Nevada since late 2004 in, um, in Nui territories. I mean, everybody's related to everybody else, and this person gets mad at this person for that, and then they don't speak for years, and, you know, and it's like, guys... It doesn't really matter at this point. We've everybody's got to get past that, and I see the same thing, you know, when I'm in South Dakota. And that's what you're talking about about, you know, time for unity. Yeah. Yeah. Well, people don't know about what I've told you. Changes the whole. Yeah. Everybody's keeps been thinking they have to stand on that Fort Laramie Treaty. And, and if you're, generally, if you're, I mean, I think the, the phrase fort going with a treaty is a dead giveaway that it wasn't really signed without duress anyway. So how is your own personal sovereignty as a Lakota? Coming. Um, not too good. <laughs> not any better than anybody else's, but you know, I got my own license with Lightning Nails. And how is that working? Um, Has it been put to the test? Yeah, I've used it, and Chinooka uh, uses it as a passport. Now, I recall when Russell Means, I was watching and reading, and um, Russell invited people to come. Mm -hmm. Now, we, we don't exactly need a republic. I mean, mm -hmm. is that, that, and that's what I've noticed in talking to everybody coming in fresh, so to speak, is a kind way to put it. <laughs> um, is people have attachment to different, you know, they've tried this and for many years. And, and what really is the basis of 
Lakota sovereignty. You know, without this, or you know, and then you have Manape want, you know, wanting to bring the word Sioux into documentation, and others saying, well, no, you don't want to do that because Sioux is a derogatory term for the Lakota, and that it's best not to have that on documents. Yeah. Well, I don't, we don't recognize it. So what do you call the nation? And that includes the Dakota and Nakota. Nina, is there anything that you'd like to share with listeners? Well, I think I've just long call that Bernie called off all his declared independence. Yeah, I did. Will you tell that story, please? I took I told it. I signed that declaration. Well, um, I've got to kind of get ready to get ready here. Okay. Well, thank you, listeners for joining us this Sunday, um, July 2nd. And um, we will close with a song by um, Tony Palmer and the Breeds called Eagle in the Distance.
myself further.